Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled Unhooking from Mental Afflictions by Lama Kathy Wesley. Much of the suffering we experience in our lives comes from habits we feel unable to break. Mental afflictions such as anger, attachment, and bewilderment, and our unhelpful habitual responses to these negative emotions can make us feel discouraged and overwhelmed. But if we can recognize the common root to all of these negative emotions, we can begin to understand how to step back from them and forge a different path for ourselves. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Texum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and good morning or good afternoon and uh, thanks very much for joining today. Today we're going to be um, continuing the subject we started last week when we started talking about uh, the um, uh, the the idea of who our common enemy is. Uh, as you know, uh, in this uh, wild and daily life we have. We have lots of people and situations coming up in our life. And because of all of these things that are coming up, we have a lot of feelings. And some of those feelings are contrary feelings or angry feelings. And we're trying to figure out how to make our way in a world of kindness, which is what Buddhism teaches. Buddhism teaches kindness. How can we live a life of kindness in an environment where everybody seems to be fighting? So, um, I, so I, that's why I talked last week about the topic of our common enemy, because there's a, um, there's a prayer that we say in Buddhism a lot, and it's, um, it's the dedication prayer where we, at the end of every activity, we make the dedication that our practice will be fruitful and will be of, um, will be of benefit to all sentient beings. And we make this aspiration and we say at the end, may we uh, overcome our enemy, which is wrongdoing. So from a Buddhist point of view, the enemy of all humanity is our wrongdoing. The things that we do to harm ourselves, the things that we do to harm others, that that's actually our common enemy as human beings. We may feel that there are other people against us or they don't agree with us. But in the end, our common enemy is our tendency to get angry and to feel that anger is the right way to work with situations where there are injustices. And so um, so today I want to continue that uh, theme uh, into the concept of unhooking from our mental afflictions, you know, like a, a hook and eye, you know, we're going to try to talk about how we get hooked and how we can get unhooked from our negative mental afflictions. So uh, before I start, I'm going to say a brief prayer in uh, the Tibetan language. It's a prayer of taking refuge, and then I'll repeat it in English, and then we'll get started. So if this is a prayer with which you're familiar, you can join in. Um, uh, but if it's a prayer with which you're unfamiliar, you can join in in your heart and in your mind by thinking that you dedicate this next time that we're spending together to the benefit of all beings. O Sanje Chudang Sochi Chonahamla Jang Chu Pardu Dani Kyapsuchi 
In the Buddha, his teaching and the order most excellent, I take refuge until enlightenment is reached. Through the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I attain Buddhahood for the sake of all that lives. Now, a short prayer supplicating the masters of our lineage. O Paldin Sawilama Rimboche Tagi Chiwar Pede Tenshula Kadrin Jembo Ganeche Sunte Kusun Tugging a drip Okay, thanks very much. Um, I want to again thank everybody for joining. Um, Last evening, uh, as I was getting ready to go to bed, um, I uh, looked at uh, my Facebook page just uh, to see if I had missed any messages. And uh, I was greeted with a live video of His Holiness the Dalai Lama teaching on loving kindness and compassion. So if you get a chance to look up the Dalai Lama's Facebook page, uh, you'll see the video. I bet it's still there because it was a Facebook live video. So it was it was kind of like a it seemed to me like a, a good luck, a bit of good luck to be able to see the Dalai Lama uh, the you know just hours before I was to talk with all of you about uh, about the uh, about the practices of love and compassion. So it felt like good luck. So um, so in any case, uh, today, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the um, about the practices of love and compassion and how we can do those in our everyday life. Hang on, I've got a I've got a, a problem with my camera. Let's see if I can make this work. There we go. Uh, so in any case, um, the 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 topic is unhooking from mental afflictions. This morning, when I was doing uh, a um, a Dharma student interview with one of my uh, Dharma friends. Um, I came upon a passage in a book, um, one of Bokar Rinpoche's books, and it just seems to me to be a really good way to begin uh, our talk today. He said, uh, sentient beings are prisoners in the cycle of conditioned existence, which the Buddha called samsara. Beings, prisoners in the cycle of conditioned existence, live in illusion, perceiving that which is not existing as existing. This particularly concerns the I and me. They also perceive as permanent and eternal that which is impermanent and perceive as happiness that which is in fact suffering. Um, I just love this paragraph because it summarizes very succinctly the basic teaching of the Buddha, which is that all things are impermanent, that we are dissatisfied in cyclic existence because we don't know that everything is impermanent and think that everything should be where it is forever and is how it appears. And then uh, finally, uh, that we have this feeling that we have a permanent, real, and un, uh, unchanging self when actually our self-concept is actually changing every moment. So, uh, so in other words, this world is a world of experience and it's a world of impermanence and constant change and all things are interdependent. 
one thing depends upon another. We would not all be here if it weren't for the circumstances that are presented to us by this particular planet on which we live. And we would not uh, be able to make changes in our life if it weren't for impermanence and interdependence. So in a way, impermanence and interdependence are what causes a great deal of suffering for us in our life. But if we understand that life is impermanent, and if we understand that situations are always changing and are interdependent, then we can begin to work with the waves, the rising and falling waves of our circumstances instead of working against them. And so working with the waves uh, on the ocean of what the Buddha called samsara, working with those waves, we can slowly and gradually find ways to undo our confusion and become enlightened and awakened beings ourselves. The Buddha also taught that we have a mind that has the potential to know itself. This potential of the mind to know itself is called Buddha nature. We know, we can know lots of things in the external world, but we can also know the experiencer. We can know our own mind and be at peace with and rest inside our most inner mind. And this is what is called awakening or liberation. And so it's not something that we instantaneously experience. It's something that we may have an inkling of from time to time when we are touched deeply by art and uh, by music and so on. Uh, we feel touched and we feel a sense of well-being and goodness, but it's only fleeting. It's only momentary. It's impermanent. And as such, it's just an inkling that there might be more to us than our thought processes might tell us. And this is why the Buddha taught, do no harm, practice virtue, and tame your mind as his main teaching. This is the teaching of the Buddha. Do no harm, practice virtue, and tame your mind. Because it's in the taming of the mind that we feel for many of us that for the very first time in the practice of meditation, some relief from the relentless conceptualization of ourselves as being good people or bad people and our situation as being a good situation or a bad situation. This constant conceptualizing is this world of illusion that the Buddha spoke of in, uh, in that Boko Rinpoche spoke of in this teaching on the Buddhist teaching. So because we don't realize that our mind is always changing and we don't realize that we have the capacity for Buddhahood within us, we're always looking outside for sources of happiness. We think that happiness is somehow out there in this world that perhaps we have the power to conquer. Perhaps we can conquer this world, and in conquering this world, we can achieve some kind of lasting happiness. But even when we achieve some small bit of happiness in this changing world, because the world is changing, and because we're trying to relentlessly hold on to the happiness that we've achieved, when we can't keep that happiness, we become very disaffected and disappointed and even angry. And so this leads us to act out toward ourselves, it leads us to act out toward others, and it creates the sufferings of the world that we're in. So with that as the situation, what do we do? How do we act? And so this is why the Buddha said, do no harm, practice virtue, and tame your mind. Do no harm means to not harm yourself and not harm others. 
and um, to um, benefit others means to take care of yourself properly and to uh, help others as much as you can. And in order to know what helping and harming is, we have to tame the mind through meditation. So that's the basis for all Buddhist teaching. But once we've begun to tame our mind through the practice of meditation, what's next? How do we begin to work on our mental afflictions? When Kebokartha Rinpoche first started teaching in America, he started teaching us about shamatha or quiet sitting meditation. That was the first practice he taught us. And then the second practice he taught us was compassion meditation. I think he felt that it would help us in the fact that in America, we do feel a lot of competition. We do feel a lot of uh, anger. We do feel um, a lack of love in our relationships. And so he taught Kempo Karthrimbache coming to America, taught us compassion meditation as the second level of teaching that he gave us. And he said there was a reason for this. He said, when we do quiet sitting meditation, our mental afflictions begin to be pacified. Because what do we do in meditation? We notice thinking and we let it go and return our attention to the object of our meditation, whether it's the breath or a mantra or whatever. We, um, we come to rest our attention on the breath again. So we might be distracted from our breath for just a moment, but then we notice it, we drop the distraction, and then we return to the breath for a fresh start. So with this being our technique, we can begin to notice individual thoughts, and we can begin to pacify thoughts because we're no longer allowing them to chain one upon another, upon another, upon another. And so when, chain, when thoughts aren't chaining one upon another, then they actually can be pacified and drop. But Rinpoche said, that's mere pacification. The thoughts are only pacified. The selfishness, which is the root of all emotion, is still beneath the surface. The self-clinging and self-fixation that gives birth to our emotional reactions is still there. Like uh, the, the other week, I was using the example of the dandelion weed. Those of us in the Midwest, we know the dandelion, that if you cut the dandelion weed off at the, at the ground but leave the root inside, that the next time there's a rain, the dandelion will spring up again. So what we have to do in our practice of meditation is... Just pacifying the mind is like cutting the dandelion off. But then we have to actually practice compassion to be able to take out the root of our selfishness. Because when we train the mind in love and compassion, this helps us to be able to pull out selfishness by the root painlessly. Because most of the people, when they hear that selfishness is the cause of all of our suffering, they say things like, well, why would I want to get rid of selfishness? Because it's what's keeping me alive. It's what's helping me survive. So um, and so uh, we, we do have a way of addressing that. In this book that I was reading by Boko Rinpoche, he said that um, in this way, he said, uh, we grasp at things because we think we're permanent. We think the world is permanent and we have this dualistic interaction with the world where we think that if we get enough things in our life or enough people in our life or have enough experiences in our life that somehow we will have lasting happiness. And so 
uh, what Bokar Rinpoche says in his book, he says fourfold grasping of the phenomena, external phenomena, is manifested. We grasp at I and me, we grasp at permanence, we grasp for happiness, and we grasp at purity, thinking that we're pure when nobody else is. And so what he is saying is that these are the four notions inherent to our relationships with all of cyclic existence. So our relationship with all that is external to ourselves is either it's all about me, or it's all about permanence, or it's all about getting happiness, or it's all about expressing my purity. So if we look at what is upsetting people these days, they, you know, politics is upsetting people, and injustice is upsetting people, and this, that, and the other thing. People disagree, and they think that if they can just disagree in the right way with the right words, they will crush the opposition and somehow make them not exist anymore. And, and this is um, something that in uh, logic is called the zero-sum game. If I win, you have to lose. And that that is the way people are living their lives these days. It's probably the way people have lived their lives for a very long time, let's face it. But what do we, as people who are trying to live lives of kindness and love, how do we work with that? Well, when Kemper Rinpoche was teaching about uh, meditation, and he said the reason that we need to do compassion meditation, he, he didn't use the word remedial compassion meditation, but I mean, if we look at it, we need a lot of remedial compassion meditation, partially because we are so addicted to being right in a situation. Have you ever suffered from this problem? Being right, like I have to win this argument. I have to be right. That other person has to see they're wrong. <laughs> because we are addicted to being right and being the victorious one, because we're addicted to this, we push and fight and push and fight and try to overcome external forces and external people. But it usually backfires and doesn't work because the world is impermanent. That's the news flash from the first part of this talk. Everything is impermanent. Everything is always changing. So trying to uh, trying to make something permanent that's impermanent is is a is a losing proposition. So um, so what we need to do is we need to find a way to be with what is happening in a way that is less prickly, that is less grabby, that is less clinging, that is less fixated. And this is what we start doing when we start doing quiet sitting meditation or shamatha. We let go of those thoughts without comment. We let go of this thought. We let go of that thought. We let go of all of our thoughts. We let go of all of them. And by being an equal opportunity dropper, we drop everything. And by dropping everything, we strengthen the muscles of letting go in the moment. And this is how we begin to unhook from mental afflictions. Let me use an example. Uh, by the way, I'm going to, I'm, I'm putting the, the topic of compassion meditation over on this side of the, um, of our imaginary blackboard. And I'll come back to Kemper Bache's teaching on compassion meditation in just a few minutes. But for now, I have to take a look at, we have to take a look at unhooking and what it means. So I think that I exist 
And I think that that world out there exists. And somehow I've got to interact with that world in order to get what I want so that I can have the things I think I need to be happy. And so somebody else's, I perceive, I perceive somebody else as getting in my way of getting what I want. And so then I go for them. I, I go after them. I push them. I fight them. But see what's happening in that. I'm just creating a lot of unrest for myself and suffering for the other person, too. So there's, there's not something beneficial happening. But if we look below the surface of what happened in that interaction, we can take it apart and see the pieces of it. For example, let's say someone has insulted me or said something bad about me, and uh, I hear about it. The next time I see that person and they come through the door, I, might, uh, I, I will see them with my eyes, right? That's the first thing that will happen. But then I'll identify it as them, it's them. And then from that moment, I have identified them as an enemy. All of my anger that I ever had from that relationship is then expressed wholly and fully in one moment. And this is why uh, Kemper Rinpoche said that pacifying mental afflictions without beginning to uh, uproot selfishness is, uh, is incomplete. It's an incomplete practice. So what happened is in that moment that I identified that person coming through the door, I got hooked. The word uh, in Tibetan is shenpa, S-H-E-N-P-A, shenpa. Shenpa, it means hooked. Well, what got hooked? When they were just a person unidentified coming through the door, it was neutral. But the moment I identified them and associated them as an enemy, from that moment on, my habit of angry reaction, that weed that was cut off when I was nice, nice and placid meditation, no problems. Then in the real world, a person comes up and I perceive them as enemy. And then the entirety of samsara, cyclic existence, manifests instantly from that moment of self-fixation, me, them, anger, and then boom, we have an angry reaction. So basically what's happened is we have such a habit of reacting in anger when we are crossed by somebody or when somebody does something that upsets us. We're so habituated to reacting in anger and thinking that we're right and they're wrong. We're so habituated to it that we burst with an angry or contrary reaction immediately. Maybe we'll react in an aggressive way. We'll, we'll shout or we'll yell, or maybe we'll act in a passive aggressive way where we just put nastiness in, in the way we address people or, we're, or we act toward them in a smart alecky way to show them how we really feel about them and so on without using negative words. Whether we are aggressive aggressive or passive aggressive, it doesn't matter. We're still enacting negativity toward another person because believe it or not, we're not in charge of the universe. So it's not for us to teach other people that we're right and they're wrong. Let me tell you a story. We are so egocentric. We don't even see that we're being egocentric until somebody else points it out to us. 
So here's a story from my husband's uh, work when he was working at the post office. Those of you who have heard this story before, you can take a break because I'm telling the story of the wisdom of Frank. So there was a guy who worked with my husband at the post office when my husband was working there. And, and we'll call him Frank. That was not his real name. But Frank really thought that he was the smartest guy in a room. And he also thought that he was God's gift to women. And he also thought that he was smarter and better, inherently better than everybody. But the problem was, Frank was, was not a savory individual. He liked to drink, and he would actually drink on the job. He would go to lunch, and he would drink. This is in the old days before everybody was being watched. And he would come back to the post office smelling of alcohol, and he would be filthy dirty and he would use filthy dirty language to talk to people. And then he would say, I don't understand what is wrong with people today. He said, they're so bad. He said, but if they could just be more like me, then everything would be all right. So when my husband told me this story, immediately we all laughed. My, I laughed and he laughed. And the reason we laugh is because Frank, in this example, was so unself-aware that he thought he was God's gift to the world and was the best and smartest, when really he was kind of angry, kind of foul-mouthed and prejudiced, and he was a drinker, and he, he had Buddha nature in there somewhere because everybody has it, even Frank, but he thought that he was the best and the smartest and that everybody else should be just like him. So what happened after this was that my husband, who I call, um, I basically call my husband a stealth Buddhist because he's not, he doesn't talk Buddhism and things like this, but he's got the heart of a bodhisattva. One time he and I were having a fight about some silly thing after him telling me about Frank. And then suddenly he stopped in the middle of this argument and he said, but you know, he said, you could be more like me if you would just try. You could be more like me if you just try a little bit. And I started laughing because basically he stopped arguing, stopped saying he was right, and then said Frank's catchphrase, but you could be more like me if you just try as a way of practicing self-awareness. My husband was being self-aware that he was being an idiot in the argument. I mean, isn't that the way it always is? Anyway, so, but he was self-aware that he was the one who was wrong, and then he could actually turn around and poke fun at himself. Like, here I am. I'm the one who thinks that I'm the smartest in this situation, when I probably am not. He was trying to show me that he saw that he was trying to exert his selfishness on me. And it was just so brilliant that I started using this story, The Wisdom of Frank, in, in my Dharma teachings. And people started telling me that they and their spouses began to use the wisdom of Frank when they would find that they were having an argument that was pointless. They would say, but you could be more like me if you just try. This coming to self-awareness about the impact that we have on others is an important way to unhook. Because Sometimes we don't want to unhook from our anger because we feel we really are right and the other person really is wrong and that we were put in a situation in order to teach them a lesson. This is so hard. This is so hard. 
I fall into this trap as a as a, a person who is so-called Dharma professional. I'm supposed to be a teacher, and yet sometimes I lose my patience and I'm not a good I'm not a good listener and so forth and so on. So I have to confront the fact that I'm not perfect and nobody's perfect, and we are all trying our best to get the better of our negative mental afflictions. And by pacifying our negative mental afflictions, that we can actually see how one little thing, me, in the example, seeing a person who uh, insulted me or was mean to me, and then that one thought, it's them, they are not me, then that angry mental affliction comes up. So what we need to start working on is that moment of recognition that moment where we recognize that there is an enemy, we have created an enemy and they're outside of us. We have to think, well, what do I do when I feel? When I feel that anger, what do I do? How do I act? What do I do with that anger that I feel in that moment? What do I feel? What do I do with it? I think the first thing, uh, according to uh, Trangarupache, who taught on this some time ago, he said, we have to change our relationship with mental afflictions. He said, right now we think that anger is good and that um, anger will help us resolve problems when really that's not the case. Anger just uh, makes us uh, stupid and it makes us say things we regret and do things we regret. And it pushes us farther away from people we're trying to understand. And so what we have to do is when we begin to feel anger, we have to uh, work. Uh, we have to work to understand uh, ourselves and we have to um, make the decision that we're going to start to tame our mental afflictions. And uh, this resolution is very similar to the resolution that my friends in 12-step traditions make when they decide that they are ready to give up their addiction to substances or things. In a way, we're all addicted to anger. We're all addicted to being right. We're all addicted to dualism. And we're all addicted to our self-concept. And so as such, we need to sort of admit our powerlessness over our addiction to being right and being angry and make the decision to stop and change what we're going to do. In 12-step tradition, they call this uh, being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And uh, because people who are whose nerves are all jangled by uh, habits of uh, mental affliction and anger, once we're habituated to it, they're hard to fix. We have to recognize what's happening and make a commitment to ourselves. Some people do this by going in front of their shrine, their altar, their images of the Buddha, and putting their hands together and saying, uh, Buddha, inspire me, help me, bless me, that I can begin to give up my anger, that I can begin to tame my anger. Kempo Karthurimbashe said the best way to start taming a mental affliction is first to acknowledge that you have it. And in fact, in his book, Dharma Paths, he suggests that people make a list of their greatest faults and then begin to work on them one, one by one. And in this approach, he said, you wake up in the morning and you say to yourself, today, I am going to tame my anger. And he said, and if you're going to be in situations with people that you know get under your skin, 
He said, it's really good to, in your mind, rehearse being in the presence of that person and rehearse being stable, a stable presence rather than being a reactive presence. There's, um, so this, um, this commitment to, to stopping uh, is important thing, an important thing. Uh, in fact, my friends in 12-step use the word halt, H-A-L-T, halt. When you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're tired, that's when you stop. And so those angry thoughts can be the beginning of a change for you. And then uh, what do you do when you start feeling that way? Well, Trangarimache, in his book, Creation and Completion, gives a threefold protocol for working with mental afflictions that corresponds to our level of practice. You know that there are, there are many levels of practice in, uh, in Buddhism. And uh, there, is, um, the, there are the three teachings that were given uh, by the Buddha. The, they call it the three turnings of the wheel of, uh, of Dharma, the three turnings of the wheel of Dharma. And um, the, um, in this three turnings of the wheel of Dharma, the first turning was about um, an understanding that the self is not what we think it is. And having the sense that this self is not what we think it is and the world isn't what we think it is. And he taught the 10 skillful actions that we should do and the 10 unskillful actions like killing, stealing, and lying that we shouldn't do as a way to bring stability to our lives and to our minds. And so uh, if we are at this first level of, uh, of Buddhist training, this level of meditation and ethics, the way to work with um, with mental afflictions is through uh, something that uh, Trangrupache calls uh, gradual distancing, and it's explained really well in the um, uh, in the chapter on vigilance in the guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life. Um, it's uh, it, he he talks about how we have to uh, look at ourselves and how we have to make a um, make a decision. Of, of what to do in our actions. And he said uh, in one of them, he said, um, uh, when you want to harm others, you have to restrain yourself from harming others. And uh, when uh, he said, one of the things he said, um, and this is in uh, uh, chapter um, five of the a Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life, it starts with um, uh, line, uh, verse 48. See if you recognize anybody in this. When the urge arises in the mind to feelings of desire or wrathful hate, do not act, be silent, do not speak, and like a log of wood, be sure to stay. When the mind is wild with mockery and filled with pride and haughty arrogance, the wisdom of Frank, and when you want to show the hidden faults of others, to bring up old dissensions or to act deceitfully, and when you want to fish for praise or criticize and spoil another's names or use harsh language, spoiling for a fight, it's then that like a log you should remain. And when you yearn for wealth, attention, fame, a circle of admirers serving you, and when you look for honors, recognition, it's then that like a log you should remain. And when you want to do another down and cultivate advantage for yourself, and when the wish to gossip comes to you, 
it's like a log, you should remain. And so um, in any case, what he's saying is examine thus yourself from every side, note harmful thoughts and every futile striving. Thus it is that heroes in the Bodhisattva path apply the remedies to keep a steady mind. So, so what, um, what we need to do at the beginning is to restrain ourselves as best we can but there's farther that we can go. We don't have to only restrain ourselves. It's it's the best thing to do when we first feel the anger. We have to turn around and walk away. And that's not always easy because we feel that if we turn around and walk away, the other side wins. But we have to remember that, as I was saying last week, uh, our common enemy is our mental afflictions, especially the ones that we give into over and over again, because those mental afflictions actually poison us from the inside out, make us people that's hard for others to be around. And if we have other people who are afraid of us and don't want to be with us because we're so unpleasant, then what are we becoming and what are we doing? And, um, and in fact, um, in one of the 37 actions of a bodhisattva uh, it's um, it's number thirty four, where uh, where he says harsh speech disturbs the mind of uh, minds of others and compromises a bodhisattva's right conduct. Therefore, to give a harsh and unpleasant speech is the practice of a bodhisattva. So we have to recognize that we can restrain ourselves and that that's the first level of being able to become unhooked. It's seeing and feeling that feeling. The feeling that we get when we begin to feel angry or begin to feel upset, that catch in our chest, that fire in the pit of our stomach, that flushed feeling across our face when we begin to feel a strong emotion, that is the moment that we need to pay attention to. That is the moment where we have been hooked. We have been hooked by self-fixation. We have now, in that moment, thought ourselves either superior to others or undeserving of their wrong or whatever. And that's where dualism comes to fruition as negative karma and negative action. So recognizing that moment uh, of shenpa, of being hooked. Pema Chodron, uh, we spoke about this a few weeks ago, but just a quick reminder that in uh, Pema Chodron's book, um, she talks about, uh, this is on page 62 of her book, um, uh, The um, uh, No Time to Lose, where she talks about Shenpa for the first time. And she says, um, you would, uh, so Shenpa, I'm sorry, it's uh, page 61. She says, Shenpa is the feeling of getting hooked, a nonverbal tightening or shutting down. Suppose you are talking to someone and suddenly you see her jaw clench. She stiffens her or her eyes glaze over. What you're seeing is Shenpa, the outer manifestation of an inner tug, the subtlest form of aversion or attraction. We see this in our each other and more importantly, we can feel this charge, this electrical charge in ourselves. Um, and so possessions evoke Shenpa. We're afraid they'll be taken or we'll not get them. Our bodies provoke Shempa. We see the gray hairs and we start to get worried and so forth and so on. He said then um, it, it's uh, the, what we really need to, to do is we really need to think about 
what kind of person we want to be and how we want to be. So the first level of dealing with our Shenpa, our being hooked, is to recognize it, just to feel it and recognize it. At first, all we're going to have the strength to do is turn away. And it's going to be confusing for us and for other people. But turning away is, in many ways, the way to not, at least, not exercise our anger. Because the more we react in anger, the more we will react in anger. It's just the nature of habits to repeat and repeat and repeat. And so now we have to accumulate the habit of unhooking and walking away. It's a different habit and we may not feel it's right, but it might be what's healthiest for us in the moment. The second level of becoming unhooked from mental afflictions is the, um, is the level of the second turning of the wheel of Dharma. When uh, the Buddha taught about the importance of love and compassion, as well as an understanding of the emptiness of all phenomena. In the second turning of the wheel, he said that we uh, that all things are impermanent, we are impermanent, and as such, why does clinging make any sense? It really doesn't make any sense. And that all things are actually without own being. In other words, these items in this world did not create themselves. They came into being because of causes and conditions. They're interdependent. And that for us as human beings in the midst of this, the only response to this is kindness the only response to this is love. Kindness and love are the only response that makes sense in the face of a world that's impermanent and continuously changing. Kindness and love is the only thing that makes sense in relationships that are, that are always changing. Kindness and love are what we can conquer everyone with, according to Kemper Rinpoche. Kemper Karthar Rinpoche once said, just know that you can conquer everything and everyone with patience and restraint. And he said, and make sure you tell every person that they can achieve Buddhahood itself through love and compassion. And so that is why, and see, we're going to take that compassion meditation off the shelf or off the blackboard where we put it over here earlier. Now we're going to talk about that second method. Last week, we talked about sending and receiving practice, the compassion meditation. There are two ways you can do it. You can practice compassion meditation as uh, sitting on your seat and imagine that with your out-breath, you send love to all beings. With the out-breath, send love to all beings. You can, uh, with the out-breath, you can imagine that you're sending love to yourself. Then you can imagine that you're sending love to everyone who's close to you. Then you can imagine that you're sending love to the people in the vicinity, in the, in the city, in the state, in the nation, in the world. And that uh, as you breathe out, you give happiness and goodness to all of them. What this does is it creates a new momentum in our minds. It creates a momentum of goodness, a momentum uh, of practicing something other than me, I, and mine. So that when we practice this kind of, uh, it's called metta or, or loving kindness meditation, when we send goodness out to others, and you can use your breath for this, breathing out and thinking you give goodness, but you could also just mentally send love and caring to uh, people, to yourself first, and then to others, and then the whole world. But then the practice of Tonglen, or sending and receiving, is a, is a slightly more strenuous practice of love. 
in which you imagine that you are in the presence of all beings in the world. And as you breathe out, you think you give all of them happiness on the out-breath. And on the in-breath, you think you remove all of their suffering. That it comes to you. It meets your pure motivation. It dissolves into nothing and disappears. And that with the out-breath, you give goodness to others. So again, in-breath, removing suffering from others, out-breath, giving them happiness. This is the, the compassion meditation that we practice on the cushion. Now, when we're not on our meditation seat, it's so much harder to practice presence of mind. And it's so much harder to practice love and compassion when we're in the thick of things, in the busy world moving and so on. So uh, the Buddha uh, gave these teachings on love and compassion that came down to us through a lineage of masters. And in the, in the teaching uh, by... Um, Chikawa Yoshi Dorji, the one we're going to be doing our book club on starting uh, July 22nd. You can go to um, uh, the Columbus KTC Facebook page, uh, or you can go to Eventbrite and look up um, uh, the uh, Transforming Emotions um, book study that we're going to start in July. In that book, in the book we're going to be studying, Chikawa Yoshi Dorji says that when we're not on our seat, doing our meditation, we can actually use the feeling of Shenpa to prompt us to be compassionate in the moment. And he says we do this by recognizing the three objects and the three poisons. The three objects are things we like, things we don't like, and things we're neutral toward. The three mental afflictions are attachment, aversion, and bewilderment. And so he's asking us to recognize that moment of Shenpa. He's asking us to feel the attachment, to feel the anger, and then to do something different with that feeling, to, um, to change the, in that moment. He said, what you do is when you feel that moment of, of that tug of anger or attachment, then you, or bewilderment, he said, you should think that you mentally take on the attachment or aversion or ignorance of all beings in the moment of the emotion you're feeling. In other words, they, one, one of the books calls it emotional alchemy. You know, So you take that moment of shenpa, that moment of angry feeling, and form something different from that angry feeling. You take the angry feeling, you let go of fixating on the object of your anger, because that's usually how it goes. Me and the thing I'm angry at, it goes around and around and around and around. You unhook from that story that you've told yourself about how bad this person is. And you unhook from the story you've told yourself about what's happening in that moment and why you have justified being angry. You unhook for that for your own sanity. You unhook from that for your own sanity and goodness. You unhook from it and then you put a formula in your mind and repeat a replacement thought. And the replacement thought is, may this anger I'm feeling now contain all the anger of all beings right here and right now. And by my working through this moment of anger, may I and all beings be free from this anger. And may we all become Buddhas, which is the ultimate freedom from anger. So then we take the energy of that selfishness, which has the form of attachment or has the form of anger, and we 
switch the form it's in and make it into an aspiration for goodness. And then we say that out loud or we say it to ourselves very strongly. And then if that doesn't help us feel better in the moment, then we need to go back down to the second, the first level and turn away. So it's like a protocol in that way. If you feel the feeling, try to use the compassion meditation on it first by saying, I'm angry. So you identify the feeling first. I am angry. And I now take all the anger of all beings into this anger that I'm feeling. And may all of us be free of it. You aspire. May I be free of it. May they be free of it. And may we all become Buddhists. And what Kemper Bache has said about this technique, he says, if this works, fantastic. But if it doesn't work, then you have to go back down to the lowest level of working with mental afflictions, this being hooked work with the, the the most basic level and turn away from that mental affliction. So um, that's what I wanted to talk about today. Um, we're coming to the end of our time together. Uh, there was a third method uh, for dealing with mental affliction, and I'm going to mention it briefly in passing, but uh, later, uh, possibly uh, in the context of the book study that we're going to do, I'll flesh it out a bit. During the third turning of the wheel of Dharma, first turning of the wheel of Dharma, the Buddha talked about ethics, morality, and mindfulness, and turning away from gradually distancing ourselves from mental afflictions. In the second level of the Buddha's teachings, the second turning of the wheel of Dharma, he talked about transforming emotions, transforming emotions through uh, through the practice of of three objects, three poisons, three seasons, by, seeds of virtue by saying, I take my negative mental affliction and I turn it into a seed of virtue by aspiring to benefit all beings. And then finally, in the third turning of the wheel of Dharma, the, um, the, the Buddha said that, um, that empty, this, this world, uh, our self-concept is empty, the, the uh, phenomena is empty, but it is not a void. Emptiness is not a void. It is filled with uh, potential, and that potential is, um, is sometimes described as a Buddha nature, that the nature of all things is awakening. The nature of all things is Buddha. And you could say that in this third turning of the wheel of Dharma, the technique is to transform and liberate your, um, uh, your mental affliction instantly. And uh, how you would do this is a person who has deeply meditated on such things as mantra can, in the instant that they feel anger, instantly associate themselves with a Buddha or Bodhisattva and recite the mantra of that Buddha and Bodhisattva and think of their body as being the body of a Buddha, their speech as being the sacred mantra of a Buddha, and their thoughts as um, not the content of their thoughts, but the wisdom energy of their thoughts as being awakening. And uh, this, as you can see, this third turning of the wheel of Dharma, the, the wheel of, uh, of, of understanding the nature of all things as Dharmakaya or the awakened mind of the Buddha, this third turning of the wheel is, uh, is more subtle and uh, definitely is going to take more learning and more practice to really um, address. So because we don't have time in this moment, I'll give you a short technique that Kempel Carthur and Bichet taught us way back in the 1970s when he first started teaching in Columbus at the KTC. He said 
this approaching mental afflictions from the third turning of the wheel of Dharma, those techniques, he said, is not easy. He said, but you can start by asking yourself a simple question the moment you feel hooked by a mental affliction. The moment you feel hooked by a mental affliction, he said, look deeply into that mental affliction and ask yourself, who is feeling this? Where is the mind that is experiencing this? And and he didn't mean look for it through some kind of intellectual analysis. He basically said, look at your mind in that moment, the mind that you're feeling you're hooked by that anger or you're hooked by that hurt or you're hooked by any of those things. The instant you feel that, he said, look at it and see and ask yourself, who is feeling this? And he said, sometimes when you do that, the emotion completely falls apart. And he said, if that happens, good, you have transformed or uh, liberated that emotion You've liberated that mo- uh, emotion in that moment. He said, but if that doesn't work, he said, then you should apply the love and compassion med- motivation, uh, meditation where you think I take on the sufferings of others. And then finally, he said, if that doesn't work, you have to merely turn away. And in that way, this threefold protocol of trying to liberate our mental afflictions in the moment through um, looking at who is feeling it and seeing that the mind is not what we thought it was. Second, using love and compassion as a way of aspiring to be free for ourselves and others from mental affliction. And lastly, turning away and distancing ourselves from mental affliction. So these three methods are ways to work with our mental afflictions. So because of time, we have to stop here for today. Uh, But I want to encourage everybody to do some homework this week. And the homework I'd like for you to do is try to sit daily, uh, at least uh, for a little while. And um, if you have one of these little wrist sets of wrist beads, you can hold the wrist bead in your left hand and in breath, out breath, breath, move a bead, in breath, out breath, move a bead for the entirety of this. And this will give you a couple of minutes of quiet meditation. And then when you're done with that, then uh, you can imagine at least the, uh, the simple meta practice of imagining that you send love and compassion to all beings. And then at the conclusion, after you've sent this love and compassion to everyone, you can sit quietly and then dedicate the goodness to yourself and all beings forming new habits of working with and unhooking your mental afflictions. So, um, I'm, I'm hoping this homework will be useful. And uh, thank you. I see some people have written questions on the Facebook feed. So I will be looking at those shortly. And, uh, and I'll be answering them on Facebook. So um, next week uh, on, on this, uh, on this uh, channel, so to speak, um, I'm going to be presenting. Actually, I'm not presenting next week. Lama Tom is presenting on the Columbus KTC Facebook page uh, next Sunday at 1 o'clock. And uh, he's going to be uh, presenting um, on, um, I'm trying to remember now, I'm having a a blank out as to what his topic is. But he's going to be uh, uh, presenting one of the teachings of Kempo Kartha Rinpoche. Uh, And that will be next week, next Sunday, uh, the 12th of of July, on the Columbus KTC Facebook Live uh, channel. Uh, And then I'll be back here uh, in a week or two, and uh, I'll be presenting on uh, another topic. 
but if you are interested in joining the book study, we're using it to raise money for the rebuilding of Columbus KTC. So any money that you give uh, to the um, uh, to the Transforming Emotions Book Club will go to help uh, rebuild the Columbus KTC. Uh, we're hoping to get started this year, so let's pray for that. So uh, we'll we'll stop now and uh, make a mental dedication of merit. We dedicate the merit of this session to all suffering beings that they can recognize and unhook from their mental afflictions and that in so doing, they can make themselves healthier inside and out and be a benefit to others. I'll recite a short prayer of dedication in English. Through this merit, may all achieve the omniscience of Buddhahood. May it defeat our common enemy, wrongdoing. From the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death, from the ocean of samsara, may we free all beings, may we free all beings, may we free all beings. Okay, thanks, and uh, look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Texum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.